My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. This is a very brief bonus episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast that I'm going to give to everyone for free. So if you want to support this show, value for value, go over to myfamilythinksomecrazy.com and click the link to our Patreon or our Substack to support the show today and get more great bonus content like this. Very short conversation with James Corbett from The Corbett Report. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode with James Corbett. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this very special edition of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And with me today is a very important researcher who I've been following for quite some time. He is in the realms of politics, history, and all the good conspiracy stuff that most of the mainstream news will not tell you about. Of course, you need to go to the Corbett Report to find all of that information. The great James Corbett is here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast at last. James, welcome to the show. I know we don't have that much time, so let's get into it. When it comes to the world today, something that seems to be on the horizon or probably already right under our feet is this issue with CBDCs. Can we get into that and explain to maybe the audience who has no clue what's coming, what exactly is going on with all this? Sure. Well, I would say for those people in the audience who don't know about CBDCs, you are way behind and it is time to get caught up and start taking things seriously because what we are talking about is a completely new form of money that is being brought into reality. Even as we speak, it is already operable in certain countries and which will completely transform the economic system. So specifically, CBDC stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. And exactly as it says, it is a type of digital currency that will be issued by central banks. That might not sound like much to people who don't understand about currency and where it comes from and how it's issued. Well, I already use electronic payments for a lot of things, right? Well, no. Well, yes, but no. Central bank digital currency is different insofar as it represents an expression of liability directly from the central bank itself, exactly as the cash that you carry around. 
um, does. So if you look on in your wallets at the dollar bills or the yen notes or whatever it happens to be in whatever country you're residing, it will generally say the Federal Reserve note or Bank of Japan or Bank of Canada or what have you. And that is because it is the central bank that is the issuing authority for that currency. In the exact same way, they are trying to implement a new type of digital currency that will be that exact same expression of liability of the central bank. Why this is important is because along with a digital currency, there are many ways that it can be implemented. But of course, a lot of them bring with it a type of centralization, which would allow central banks essentially to look at, monitor, and even interfere with your daily transactions in whatever arbitrary ways they decide and see fit to do. And uh, you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, Augustin Karstens, who's the executive director of the Bank for International Settlements, was on an IMF live stream a couple of years ago now, um, expressing with great glee how CBDCs will allow for the first time central bankers to see exactly how their expressions of liability are trading around in the economy. Right now with a dollar bill, they don't know who has possession of that dollar bill at any given moment, and they don't know anything about it until it comes back to them in some form. Well, in this case, they'd be able to see and intervene in any transaction that they want. Augustin Karstens himself talked about that. Ministers in the UK government have talked about this. Basically, this is, this is common knowledge. This programmable money could be programmed in any way. So that, for example, in the event of the next lockdown or what have you, the authorities would be able to say, okay, you cannot spend money more than, say, one mile from one kilometer from your house and because you are now in lockdown. And they would be able to turn off your currency if your GPS device, known as a smartphone, detected that you were more than that kilometer away from your house or any other imaginable circumstance. If you can imagine it, they can program it into the currency. As I say, this is already happening in a number of countries around the world. So if you're not aware of it, you are way behind the game and it's time to get caught up. Yeah, well said. Now, when it comes to BlackRock, it seems like what we all experienced over the past four years could have been predicted by those who had the right skills to analyze this kind of data. Because in a video I watched that you put together about BlackRock, your documentary on them, you talk about how in September 2019, we see evidence of this going direct plan that BlackRock put together. Can you explain to me a little bit about that? I'm going to put the chart in the show notes so people can see what we're talking about here. But we have two lines and they get really close together right around September 2019. And then they're just kind of locked since. So what happened there? So in order to understand this, we have to understand that the basic setup of the monetary system itself, which is not easy to do and will be a process of vast oversimplification. So again, if you're not aware of it, it's time to get caught up on things like this. I know it's eye-wateringly boring, but that is by design so that people will not look into it and they will think that the question of money, where does money come from, is a joke that should be answered with from trees. Well, no, actually money, of course, as we were talking about before, is issued by the central banks, but they, it's issued in a very specific way. Central banks issue central bank reserve money or deal in reserve money. And that reserve money comes from the commercial banks. At least, again, this varies from country to country, and there are various different ways that this is set up. But for example, in the United States, the commercial banks who are member banks of the Federal Reserve park their deposits, their reserves at the Federal Reserve 
bank. And generally, there are capital requirements and rules and regulations, increasingly internationally so under Basel III and other international accords, about how much money the commercial bank can then lend out into the commercial economy based on how much reserves they have parked at the central bank. And the commercial money that commercial banks issue is what you and I think of as money. That's what we use to transact. Now, that means that the central bank can't actually just start creating commercial bank money that circulates in our economy. What they can do is create reserve money that then increases the capital, the reserves that are being held by the commercial banks, who can then lend more money out into the commercial economy, of course, with the interest coming back to the commercial banks. Ka-ching, ka-ching, yay for the bankers. That's the way the system has always worked. And it's worked well enough for the bankers to be able to inflate and deflate the economy as they see fit in various situations. But it's not a direct way of inflating or deflating the economy. So in August of 2019, as the annual Jackson Hole Symposium of Central Bankers was taking place in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, BlackRock released a paper on the going directory set where they, they lamented the fact that Central bankers are running out of space, essentially, for inflating up the economy in the event of the bursting of the next bubble. Um, We've seen all of the various things that they've tried, for example, in the wake of the Lehman collapse in order to essentially keep the bubble expanding and keep things growing. They created the bond bubble, the everything bubble, one of the largest bubbles we've ever seen in the history of the uh, world economy over the past several years, essentially to paper up the fact that the world economic system, as we know, it almost melted down completely in 2008, 2009. So it's been filled with hopium and bubblegum, essentially, for the past uh, decade or so. But this has meant increasingly crazy moves by the central bankers, including negative interest rates, which... A decade plus ago, economists would have told you, well, that's impossible. What does that even mean? Well, they're doing it now. It's been negative interest rate policy in the EU and Japan and elsewhere for a number of years now. But that means that the bankers are running out of options for how to inflate in the event of the collapse of the next bubble. Well, BlackRock decided, why don't we go direct? Instead of central banks printing up reserve money, which then is indirectly lent out via commercial banks into the economy, how about if the central banks start creating money, commercial bank money, that can go directly into the economy itself? That way they can get it directly into the economy. There's no no trying to nudge and and cajole banks um, to, to do their part in all of this. Basically, what this means is, as you alluded to there, you can see the chart of the, the Federal Reserve liabilities and the bank deposits in the U.S., which had hitherto shown no direct correlation. Even in the wake of the 2008-2009 financial crisis and all of the billions and hundreds of billions and ultimately trillions of dollars that was being created and pumped into the economy via the Federal Reserve, it wasn't being pumped into the commercial banking system directly. The banks, the deposits at the commercial banks did not inflate with the the rising Federal Reserve liabilities. But in September of 2019, you see those two lines meet and then start to go in unison. So exactly, well, actually less than one month after BlackRock proposed that the central banks start going direct in the wake of the next crisis. We see the repo crisis that happened in the markets in September of 2019. And the response to that was going direct, essentially. And that um, is where we see the real beginnings of what became QE3 or QE4 or whatever they're on right now, this quantitative easing to infinity game that they've been using to prop up the economy. That happened in September 2019, not 
in March of 2020 as a result of the response to the scandemic, et cetera, as they want to tell people. No, if you look at the chart, it began in September 2019. And in some sense, you can see the whole the whole scandemic loans and emergency lending facilities and all of the trillions of dollars that was being pumped into the economy in response to this scandemic. You can really see it ultimately as a result of the going direct reset that began in 2019. Absolutely. And a wise person once told me that you got to go all the way to the numbers. They can't hide there. And it seems like part of why they're switching to these Aladdin AI softwares is to remove the human error or, I don't know, ethics from the equation and blame, put all the onus on computers, right? Essentially, in layman's terms, that's what's going on here. But explain to maybe this layman audience a little bit about Aladdin and how they're using AI now to calculate risks, so to speak, or at least that's what they're saying they're doing with it. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a black box. So take what their corporate PR says about this with a grain of salt or a whole truckload of it. But at any rate, Aladdin is this proprietary investment analysis software. They refer to it as the operating system of BlackRock. But this is this it's essentially software that they sell to various clients and they also operate themselves, which as you say, is supposedly this magic AI algorithm that's going to essentially look through all of your portfolio in any given day, compare it to the way the portfolio stood yesterday, looking at news and other items that are coming in and analyzing them to calculate risk on your various assets and then advising you, well, you should probably sell this. You should probably buy that. At least that's the way it works in theory. Now, while that might not sound like an incredibly ominous thing, the, the one of the really disturbing parts about this is the size and scope of Aladdin and how much of the world's investment capital is currently under management of this black box proprietary AI algorithmic software. Um, The last time that was calculated back in 2017, the last time they even tried to put a number on that, they came up with a number of $21.7 trillion of uh, assets under management um, by this Aladdin software. But Actually, that number only included one third of the corporate clients of BlackRock that's using this software. So it's some number more than 21 trillion, but they stopped reporting the number after that amount, because as one insider said, it was it was generating a little bit too much publicity and they didn't like that much scrutiny. So however many tens of trillions of dollars are under management of this black box AI software or so-called AI software, at any rate, it is a staggeringly large number representing some significant percentage of the global investment investable capital. And one of the reasons, I mean, there are many reasons I think we should be uh, very skeptical of whatever BlackRock says about Aladdin and, and let alone what it's actually doing. But one of the reasons we can look, for example, to the flash crash that happened in 2010 with trillions of dollars being wiped off of the Dow Jones index and then brought back within a matter of minutes um, because of algorithmic trading that went out of control. And they 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 took a scapegoat and uh, put him in jail for that. But what really happened there is still somewhat up in the air. At least it never came out um, fully in public. But at any rate, um, the possibility that, say, a deeply embedded line of code in this proprietary Aladdin software could, at the very least, greatly influence the markets, if not completely tank the entire market or 
completely change the direction of the market at a moment's notice by some centrally controlled figure in, say, in BlackRock is at least a possibility on the table and one that I think should be worrying enough for the vast majority of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And ironically, we might end up with a black rock instead of an earth if we're not careful. And it seems like the climate activists are sort of all being played as fools as BlackRock and these banksters piggyback off of this pseudo climate change argument. Explain how this leaves people liable, because it seems like that's what is going on here, where, you know, it's now it's on us to save the planet, not them. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think that is essentially the the ultimate propaganda narrative that has been unfolded over the past few decades, which is to essentially take people's real concerns about the environment and pollution and things that humanity is demonstrably doing to undermine the ecosystem in which we're living, and then taking all of that responsibility and putting it on you. You didn't sort out your recyclables properly. You're you're driving a gas-powered vehicle. It is your fault that the weather gods are angry. And that has been such an incredibly effective tactic that most people now completely have internalized this climate guilt and they talk about the climate neuroses and problems that people are growing up with these days, people actively rejecting the idea of even having children because they would be a burden on the earth, etc., etc. Meanwhile, the Larry Finks of the world laughing all the way to the bank with their trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars of investable capital that they are now directing into carefully chosen companies that will play by their rules and thus receive the, the proper ESG rating, Environment Social Corporate Governance Rating, which will allow them to essentially continue on that money train. And if if someone speaks out or if somebody is not playing along by the, the rules that are being set, they will be essentially castigated in this essentially corporate social credit system that has been set up under this ESG rating. And there's many ways. I mean, ESG is just one of the brands that this is going under. Another example of this is the Net Zero Asset Managers Group of a few hundred different investment firms that have have now committed to this net zero agenda that we're hearing about increasingly as we as we barrel towards the 2030 sustainable development goals and the, the 2030 agenda and more and more countries and companies are committing themselves to net zero, net zero, net zero, as in we are going to have net zero emissions, carbon emissions by the year 2030 or 2050, or should it be absolute zero as in absolutely no emissions of any sort? And how do we achieve that? Well, that would involve, for example, getting rid of all air travel, period, getting rid of most of the construction industry, getting rid of all international shipping, at least until such time as all international cargo can be converted to nuclear power, etc., etc. These are the kind of absolutely bonkers, genocidal ideas that are being bandied about right now by respectable respectable institutions like UK Fires, which is associated with Oxford and a number of other establishment institutions. So this is, and the net zero asset managers, I, I can't remember how many trillions of dollars under management the group currently boasts, but it is in the tens of trillions of dollars, i.e. a significant percentage of the investable capital of the planet is increasingly being put into these types of groups that are focusing on net zero and ESG and what have you. It is a, it is completely a, a lie, essentially. It is a way of trying to direct trillions of dollars into um, corporations that will play ball with the Black Rocks of the world. But let us not 
solely dwell on the problem. There are solutions and there are things that even you and I can do about this to the extent that we can do anything at all to direct these pension funds and others that are investing people's pensions in, well, what are they even doing with it? Oh, they're investing it with BlackRock and then BlackRock is directing it into ESG, et cetera. So what can we possibly do about that? As usual, actual awareness of these issues is an incredibly it is the base level. It is not sufficient, but it is necessary for any change to take place. And we're starting to see that as public awareness of the ESG net zero scam is rising. So is push pushback against that agenda. And for example, we saw last year a group of I believe there were nine initially and I think more signed on to it. Attorneys, state attorney general of the various states signed on to a letter essentially threatening BlackRock, saying you have a fiduciary duty as an investment firm to look after the investments of your investors. And the only the only thing you should be concerned about is investment return. You should not be doing this for social or political reasons. And uh, they so far billions of dollars have been withdrawn from BlackRock. It's a drop in the bucket compared to the 10 trillion almost that are under assets under management currently. But it is a step in the right direction. And I certainly don't put my faith in the political um, figures that get out there and start at least mouthing the uh, pushback against um, uh, BlackRock. But it does show that there is an increasing public awareness of these issues. And it does show that politicians, at the very least for their own self-interest, will generally get out in front of the parade and pretend to be leading it. Yes, I care about these issues. OK, we'll stick it to BlackRock. Will that get me some more attention and more votes? So <laughs> at the very, very least, I certainly, again, don't put my faith in the political process. But our understanding of that is a key part of how we can actually com combat this problem. And if people want more concrete ideas about what we can be doing productively, I would direct them to my Solutions Watch episode on how to defeat BlackRock. Because there are there are specific investment strategies and ideas and things that people are working on. But I think the most important bottom line of all of this is to realize that BlackRock does not have $10 trillion. No, BlackRock is investing $10 trillion for their investors. People are giving them their money, their time, their attention, their energy, putting it in their investment funds that, hey, whatever you guys do with it, I don't care, whatever. Just give me a statement every quarter telling me you know, how much I've earned and I'm fine with it. To the extent that people go along with that system, they're going to get exactly what they're buying, essentially, right. which is ultimately their own enslavement. Yeah. So if we want to really take the power away from the BlackRocks, we have to start taking our wealth back into our own hands and taking responsibility for what happens with that wealth rather than just entrusting some sort of investment firm to oh they'll they'll manage it for me we have to start consciously directing our time our attention our energy our money and our resources into the, those things that we want to support that is the only way to truly counteract the black rocks of the world absolutely yeah and as you pointed out in your very well-made video about this subject i didn't watch the solution watch uh version of it but you pointed out how blackrock is invested in walmart coca-cola exxon and a couple other daily weekly visits for most americans right and i think you know personally i've done my best to go to small locally owned businesses farmers markets and i hope to do that more and more and and you know eventually live in a place where that is something we can primarily rely on 
and even just those little steps, you know, your dollar is is a powerful way to vote. But when it comes to voting, obviously next year is going to be pretty chaotic, I imagine. But this year is the 60th anniversary of a very, very important, tragic event in American history. That is the uh, assassination of JFK. And I recently saw on your website a really excellent coverage you did after a fan or a member of yours was, he asked the question, do you have the original unedited version of the JFK secret society speech? And so many people, especially those who listen to this show, have probably heard JFK's speech. And unfortunately, what we've heard is not actually what JFK said. So as we sort of wrap up here, given this is 60th anniversary, what did you learn from that speech that JFK gave to the press in two years before his assassination? Well, myself, along with probably a lot of people who have heard clips of this speech for a long time, believed that this was a speech about, he clearly says in the edited versions of this speech, we are opposed around the world by a ruthless and monolithic conspiracy that acts by covert, covert means, he says, for covert, etc., etc. And I've heard those clips and I've seen that. And I, again, for many years, I believed it until I actually looked at the speech itself, because this is not some sort of hidden speech that we've, oh, we've only got a little snippet here and there. No, you can go and listen to the entire speech. So that's what I did in that episode of Questions for Corbett. I played the entire speech in its full context, in which JFK is speaking to the members of the uh, news newspapers association, the media association, whatever it was, the publishers association, and was giving a speech specifically telling them, hey, we're the U.S. government, so we're not going to come in and start censoring you guys, but we're in this big war against the Soviets, the communists, them them guys over there, and you, you got to know when to shut up and when not to report things. And you guys know we're not going to we're not going to censor you. You know, we're the good guys. We don't do that. But in a wartime situation, you know, you know what's what's best for the country and you know when to keep your lips shut. He is essentially threatening the uh, the news industry with, hey, guys, don't don't spill the beans on our secrets too much. You know, don't don't dig too deep. And it's remarkable how the you just take little bits and pieces out of that. And it sounds like JFK, the valiant crusader trying to fight against the Illuminati or whatever it's been portrayed as is 180 degrees from reality. He was not saying that he was threatening the press, essentially. And you have to hear it in its context to understand that. And even even so, there are still people who push back against me. No, he was really great. Similarly, I've done a lot of work. For example, I did a presentation at the JFK Lancer Conference, I believe back in 2020, about the JFK Fed myth. The idea that JFK was going to go against the Federal Reserve and he was pulling, he was issuing greenbacks and uh, trying to get rid of the, the Federal Reserve notes, etc., etc. Again, Absolutely, totally, completely, 180 degrees opposite to reality. JFK, in fact, in actuality, with his executive order 11110, was giving power to the secretary, the Treasury Secretary, to to stop the issuing of greenbacks, which was happening as on a regular schedule as part of the the monetary legislation that existed at that time. He was giving power to the Secretary of the Treasury in order to stop that, so that the Federal Reserve 
uh, there would there would be no more silver backed certificates, silver certificates, or anything um, uh, issued after this point. So after the the every I, I forget the, there was a certain level of silver reserves upon which 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 crossed, and then they'd have to issue more silver certificates, and they have to purchase more silver. But JFK wanted to get rid of that, and he explicitly said so in his own writings that he wanted to get rid of that. He didn't think silver should be used. He wanted to give power to the Secretary of the Treasury so that they could stop it, which is exactly what happened. Uh, JFK was empowering the Fed, not going against the Fed. And unfortunately, it is the sort of stuck on stupid conversation that gets caught up, people get caught up on in the alternative media, whereby if somebody if somebody is threatened by the establishment or if somebody gets assassinated by the establishment, then everything they did was good. And everything, they're just the purest, most wonderful human being. No, Russell Brand, he couldn't, he couldn't possibly have sexually assaulted anyone. He walks on water. He's awesome. And the, the fact that they're going after him proves that he's a great guy. The fact that they assassinated JFK shows that he was going against the Federal Reserve. He was not. I think he was starting to wake up to the realities of the military-industrial complex nightmare that Eisenhower was warning about on his way out the door and was threatening to break the CIA into a thousand pieces and was getting rid of people like Dulles and Lemnitzer and other deep state operatives who had nested themselves within the U.S. government, and he was a threat to the establishment in that way, it doesn't mean that he was right about everything. It does not mean he was a saint. JFK was involved in a lot of dirty stuff throughout his life. And I think this hero worship that people have, if somebody is threatened by the establishment, they're automatically a saint and everything they ever did was right, is stupid. And people need to wake up and stop doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. I find myself uh, as a host of a podcast, my head spinning. Sometimes I get so many different uh, viewpoints on JFK, but it does seem like with some of the, the examples we just gave that, you know, in the decades preceding the assassination, people tried to make sense of it and threw whatever they could at the wall to see if it would stick. And a lot of people probably shoved their preconceived biases in there. It's funny, maybe in this stroke of irony with the silver dollar point, Kennedy is now on the half dollar, which was initially made out of silver. I don't know. It's probably just got a silver lining now, but yeah. Uh, James Corbett, this has been fantastic. Very brief, but of course you have hours and hours and hours of content on your website. So I will point my audience there, CorbettReport.com, to check out all of the invaluable information you've been culminating there. Any news or, you know, things in the works that you want to promote before we wrap up here? Yeah, I'm always working on stuff, but I think I'll just keep it under my hat for now. So I will just direct people to CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T report.com. As you say, literally thousands and thousands of hours of audio and video content, let alone articles in the the archives there. And completely 100% totally, I make my life's work and literally everything I do 100% free and available to the public. It is a resource. I hope people will use it. If they do, I would hope they would support it as well and people can sign up for a membership to the website and that sort of thing. But if it's your first time, just go to CorbettReport.com and explore the archives to your heart's content. Beautiful. And I will link that in the episode description. So wherever folks are listening to this, they can go and click that right now. And until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now.
that was our episode with James Corbett. Of course, he is the man from The Corbett Report. He's got a ton of great content there. Go and check it out. And if you want to support this show, go over to MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com, click the links to our Patreon or our Substack, and support the show today. You don't only get access to shows like this, you get bonus episodes that don't go out on the free feed, and you get extended episodes. That's the free show plus more, uh, up to an hour or more uh, extended content on those episodes for supporters only. So go and support the show today. Of course, I want to give a big shout out to all of our new supporters on Patreon and Substack. There's been a ton of new people that have decided to support the show, uh, and I will do that in the next episode. So have a great day and enjoy this uh, wherever you are in the now. Peace. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. 
cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit uh, I'm peeking through the curtain nothing is for certain but I feel it like a purpose wait I'm peeking through the curtain hardly feeling like a person but the vibes are perfect uh, I'm peeking through the curtain nothing is for certain but I feel it like a purpose wait, wait, wait.